Knowing what you know right now, what would you go back and tell yourself 10 years ago? What mistakes would you correct? If you know what you know now, what would you go back 10 years and tell yourself? What uh, fashion choices would you correct? <laughs> would you recommend you're in the gym more, maybe less? Uh, what would you go back 10 years ago and tell yourself? Are you a betting person? Maybe you would do a lot better. I don't know. So, so there's lots of things if you start to imagine what you go back 10 years and tell. And this is a time of year where people do that. You see it all over social media right now, all different kinds of range of emotions and photos and stories and memories, and, and it's throwing up there. So I thought I would show you what I was doing 10 years ago. Uh, and so here's a photo of me 10 years ago, um, and one of the, the highlights of my um, decade here. I know, yes, my, uh, the day of my wedding. And so 10 years ago, I was married, and uh, I just get to show that to you because I'm up here, and you have to look at it now. Yes! So I get to make very happily married and excited how fast 10 years goes. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, so 10 years ago, I was married. 10 years ago, as you go back and sort of, what were the highlights for you? There's quite a bit of stuff that's, that's back that we really start thinking. About. But it's not just a, a time where we go back and think personally, but then culturally, there's a whole set of things. Think about what was happening culturally back in 2010. 2010, Facebook was really taking off. It went over 500 million users. Mark Zuckerberg in 2010 was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. It was late in 2010 that Instagram was actually started. Life pre Instagram, right? But since then, you can imagine when Instagram's gone just in 10 years. The iPad was actually first released that year, so to add to the iPhone and everything else. How many of you watched uh, Lost? You watched Lost, okay. So 10 years ago was the final season of Lost. We finally found out. And those app games, Angry Birds was the game of the year. So Angry Birds, there were 200 million minutes of gameplay in 2010. Isn't that crazy? Just outrageous. Angry Birds, 10 years ago, movies and everything from then. But that was 2010, and we reflect back, and, and we look back in history, and we think about things, but this is a time of year we don't just reflect, but we also then consider the future of what could be, what's ahead of us. It was time to plan, time to resolve, time to dream of what could be in the next 10 years. So you start seeing people post those things as well right now and consider what's on the horizon and, and where are we headed towards. And we're gonna find ourselves in a passage in Numbers today where there is a census taken again. And it's a part of a census that then there's this pause in the middle of it where there's this reflection and look back on a past action. And it looks back at the poor choices of Korah's family that causes devastation in their family. But out of that, it's gonna then show us in the future how that family line changes. So pausing to think long enough, each one of us could look back on the past 10 years and wish we would change things. We would look back and ponder and go, I wish, I wish that was different. But none of us have a time machine. None of us can go back and, and change things. We don't get to do that. And instead, Jesus chooses to use our entire story, both those good things, those regrettable things, those mistakes, those sins, in a way that often we would never imagine but can be redeemed beautifully for the future. So regardless of what your story has been the last 10 years, the last decade, what will it be? For the next 10 years, what will be the next 10 years? And so let's turn to Numbers 26 and see where we jump in here. Numbers 26 is where we're going to be at today. And part of this 
New Year's time, resolve, people jumping into things. It's a time to maybe grab a new Bible reading plan, those type of things. We'd love for you to join us in the lobby. There's those bookmarks there that walk us through the Bible reading so you can be a part of tracking with us. Not only we read personally, but jump into a group. As it was mentioned earlier, Discover Highlands kicks off uh, next week as a, as a lunch option to hear more about Highlands, how to get it connected in a small group. But jump in, be a part of reading personally, studying in groups, and then also here on Sundays, following as we preach through scripture together. Numbers 26. Numbers 26. So before we read through some of this, just wanna give some context here of, of the people who have been in the wilderness led by Moses, and God has miraculously provided for them. This, this census that is about to be taken is near the end of their time of wandering in the wilderness. And so at this point, God has provided for all of these years from the time they left Egypt, miraculously provided for during that time, then wandering in the wilderness. And in, during that different time, we've heard different sermons the last few weeks. Last week, Pastor Jesse looking at Balaam and the way that God protected the people of Israel, even when they didn't realize God's sovereign hand of protection. I'm grateful for that, God's sovereign hand of protection over things we don't even see. But as we continue that, we get all the way through. They've been wandering for 40 years and we're nearing the end of that. that. That generation that had first been freed is now passed and we're right at the end, ready to enter into Canaan, into the promised land. And right at that spot, chapter 26, if you read the whole chapter, we'll just read a section of it. It says that they're getting ready to take the census so they can determine what the inheritance is for different clans, different groups of family as they enter the promised land. So here, here's the context as they're preparing. This generation has passed away and they're about to enter. Look at Numbers 26. We'll actually start in verse three. It says, And Moses and Eleazar, the priests, spoke with them in the plains of Moab, all the people of Israel, by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses. And the people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were, and now it starts to walk through them, Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, the sons of Reuben of Hanak, the clan of the Hakonites, and Palu, the clan of the Palulites, of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the clan of the Carmenites. These are the clans of the Reubenites, and those listed were 43,730. I'm glad they didn't list all of those names, because that would be quite a reading here. And the sons of Palu, Elab, the sons of Elab, Nemuel, Dathan, and Abraham. These are the Dathan and Abraham chosen from the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning, but the sons of Korah did not die. So here... We're reading through this census. We're about to enter into the promised land that's been promised. And then pause, and there's this historical account tucked right in here. Why? Why is this family line suddenly known for the way that they contended against the Lord? Why is that inserted here? Why is this happening right in this spot? Well, well, we want to go back and look at what took place in these events. What will help us then come back here and go, why is this put in right before they enter the promised land? I mean, it says here that it was for a warning, but what's, what's the warning they became? So let's first go back to where this actually took place 
It's recounted in scripture. Look at that, and then we'll come back and finish this genealogy here. But it it interrupts our genealogy with this this rebellion of Korah. So go back to Numbers 16. Just flip back a few pages, scroll up a little bit. And back in Numbers, the full account is given because the sons of Korah, who are mentioned there in, in 26 that stayed alive after it, would play a significant role in the future of Israel. And we'll get to that later, but for now, they're called out as a warning. So let's look at Numbers 16. Here's the beginning of that. Now, Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abram, the sons of Elab, some of the same names we were reading before, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel. 250 chiefs of the congregation chose from the assembly well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, because we've jumped around in scripture a little bit, let's remind you when they rose up against them. So we were just reading Numbers 26, the census right before they entered Canaan. It mentioned Korah, who's all the way back, right after God had freed them from Egypt and they'd entered into the wilderness, right as they were on the border about to enter Canaan, the spies were sent in. So 12 spies were sent in to seek out Canaan and the land of Israel. And those 12 spies came back. 10 of them said, that land is incredible. There is no way we can enter the land. There are like giants, massive fortified cities. This is outrageous. We can't do it. Two, Caleb and Joshua said, are you kidding? Come on, look what God has done to free us from the Egyptians, to move us through the Red Sea, to be in this place, to provide food. Absolutely, we can enter the promised land. But for fear, the people listened to the 10. And the judgment of God at that time was for the 40 days you spied out the land, you would wander the wilderness for 40 years. It's recounted in Numbers 13 and 14. And then right after that, they begin the wandering in the wilderness, and this takes place. So it's right at the beginning there, shortly after that time. We don't know exactly the amount of time, but that's the timeline of where this takes place. So now they rise up against Moses and they say, why have you done this to us? Verse four, when Moses heard this, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and all his company, in the morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And looking here, Moses doesn't respond to say, I'm the one in authority, you back off. But even in his humility and the rebellion here on the part of Korah and him stirring up strife here and and bringing these complaints before Moses, Moses says, okay, let's bring this before the Lord and see who is actually the one that's righteous before God. Goes on in verse eight. And Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near to him and all your brothers the sons of Levi with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? 
Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Moses here is responding to Korah and saying, God has called you out for a role to serve the congregation. We see later in scripture, they're worship leaders. They're the ones here that do have a role in the tabernacle. They're not the role of the priesthood. No, that Aaron and Eleazar saying, that's not what you've been called to do. And so they rebel and go, we want that. Have you wanted something else and not been able to have it and been frustrated? Let's not be too harsh on Korah yet. I was reflecting on this myself, even in this sense, that God has gifted me differently than others, and yet I wanted something else. Uh, I remember when I was just out of high school, and when my, my first job here at Highlands was leading student ministry worship teams. So my responsibility was over student bands. I had 15, 20, 25 students that I was responsible for, and I really wanted to, and I felt like it was important if I'm leading worship teams for students, I should be able to lead worship. You would think that's important. So I really wanted to be able to sing. I just felt like, God, I've gotta be able to sing. I can play guitar and bass and drums and lead the bands and no problem there. But at the end of the day, I really wanted to sing. I really did. I, you know, I'm listening to Katie and Olivia and Dana and going, come on, like, God, I need to be able to sing. So I remember right over here on this keyboard, 16 years ago, <laughs> taking voice lessons because I felt like I needed to sing. And so I, I would sing with somebody else and I'm moving along just fine. And then eventually their voice goes away and my voice goes, ah, I'll stop. <laughs> but I, I can't, I can't sing. I'm not a soloist, absolutely not. I love it when you are all singing because then I can sing too, right? Isn't that how many of us, there are certain people we will give mics and certain people we won't. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, but here, for me personally, looking back, I felt like that was really important for me. I really wanted to learn it, how to sing. I, you know, right now it's easy to laugh at, but then it's, it, it, there's a sense of insecurity of leading teams and wanting to be able to sing and and how many of us find ourselves in a spot where God has placed us in a spot, gifted us in a way, and we want to do that, but we want something else? And so sometimes we'll even try really hard at that, and we start slipping in jealousy, and then we actually start wishing that we had that. We forget how God's gifted us, and we forget that we're a body of Christ with different, different gifts and abilities. And it's easy to see in a worship environment, as you start seeing that, well, well no, we wouldn't switch this drummer with this guitar player with this person. You wouldn't have me sing. No, you don't want that. Nobody would stay. And rightfully so. Because we're gifted differently. So before we're too harsh on Korah here, and rightfully so, that root of jealousy that God had placed them in a certain role in the tabernacle, and they're going, no, we want that one. We don't like our job. We want that one. And that can show up beyond a worship environment in so many different things. When we see a neighbor, when we see somebody else's kids, when we see somebody else's job success, when we see something else, we go, God, why not me? And we get jealous for other scenarios and situations and wish. Careful, careful what we grumble and complain before the Lord. As we've been reading through Numbers, we've seen how the Lord detests the grumbling and complaining of the Israelites for years. But here, Korah and their rebellion came out of this issue of wanting a different role, wanting a different responsibility and job. And so ultimately, that's where Moses is saying, this, you don't have an issue with me, you have an issue with God. So let's continue on, verse 12. 
So move from Kor over to Dathan and Abram. Moses sent to call Dathan and Abram, the sons of Elab, and they said, we will not come up. There's some arrogance. Verse 13, is it a small thing that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself prince over us? Okay, is that true? Think about that. Let's, let's not just read that and go, oh, that's what, that's what Moses did to them. What a mean guy. No, no, L- listen to the words that are so twisted by his own jealousy that he would rewrite history. Dathan and Abram are speaking to Moses and say, it's, is it a small thing that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey? What did they come out of? They came out of slavery in Egypt. They had called out to God for 400 years to say, free us from this oppression. We want to be able to freely worship you. We want to be able to be independent as our own nation and people of God. Originally, it wasn't even as a nation, just free to worship you without being oppressed. So it's amazing how that jealousy and anger and frustration has now warped history in such a way that they would lie to prove their point. And they've now warped history to say, you've brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey, Eh, hold on, to kill us in the wilderness. The same wilderness now that God is actually providing manna for them each day, that you must also make us prince over us. Moses, it was Moses' heartbeat to become ruler and commander of the Israelites, that he raises in his, I've got a leadership gift, pick me, pick me, God, pick me. Now, if I remember going back in scripture, read through once again and realize that Moses, God more like dragged him along, pulled him and said, Moses, you're the man that I have chosen. And Moses goes, oh, I I don't know. I'm not sure I can speak that well. I don't think I'm the right guy. I I, I don't know. From the very beginning, Moses did not desire that, but God called it from him. And so now he in this place isn't somebody that aspired to be a prince over them, but instead, these people have twisted and are frustrated and angry, and it's coming out in the way they view history. It's coming out at their leader, and here's where they're at. In verse 14, moreover, You have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance in the fields and vineyards. He's right with that. They haven't got to that promised land. But why? It wasn't because of Moses. It was because of the people that came back when they spied the land and said, we can't do it. God won't provide for us. And now they're pointing at Moses Moses and saying, you've done this to us. It's all just twisted in frustration and anger by their own vantage point of what has taken place. We just read this, these prior chapters goes on and says, will you put out the eyes of these men? Now it just drops down the level of just accusing them with, with Moses of vengeance. We will not come up. And so verse 15, Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them and have not harmed one of them. It's like, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm holy before you, God. Not many of us would say I've not taken one donkey from them, but you get the point. I haven't taken anything. I haven't done anything wrong. I am holy. Verse 16. So Moses turns back towards Korah. And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. So a censer. We're not used to those in our worship environment today. But a censer would be like a a small bowl, often on a long handle, and, or a small bowl that would be placed on some kind of table or receptacle here. Um, you might have seen it in other Eastern traditions or Catholic church where it would be on like uh, chains and held here. It's kind of the same idea. But going back into this time, it's spoken about in Leviticus as well as in Numbers as a small bowl. And so you'd have coals on it and you put incense and they'd burn. 
Leviticus talks about how the high priest would do that in the Holy of Holies before the Lord once a year would burn these incense as a pleasing aroma. And so here it's that same thing. Bring your censers, your bowls here that have coals and incense on it before the Lord is an offering. So here's, here's where it's at. Uh, and take his censer, verse 17, and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also and Aaron each his censer. So every man took a censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Are there verses in scripture you wish you could just be right there and experience it? So read that one more time at the end of that. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Now, it doesn't say, tell us here what the manifestation of that was, why that's there exactly, but, but clearly the author had to include that because of how the Lord appeared in this place. But we know, reading through other passages of Scripture, you see God's presence leading the Israelites through fire at night. You see the visible cloud during the day. You see the presence of God that was so clear. And so here, and again, this, this presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, appeared to the congregation? Was that clouds? Was that thunder? Was that a lightning? What was, we don't know, but it's the glory of the Lord appeared to the congregation. Verse 20, and the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their face and said, oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you will be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, <clears throat> get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. <clears throat> and he spoke to the congregation saying, depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with their sins. Just an important note right at that spot there. God takes sin seriously. The holiness of his people matters. Personal, private sin, in some sense, is kind of a myth. I mean, yes, there's a personal sense of which you sin and responsible, but the impact in concentric circles around you, into your family, into your community, into others, you can never underestimate the gravity of that. And as God here speaks, he is serious about holiness in his camp. So he says, caution, lest you be swept away in their sins. Verse 27. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But... If the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as, finished, as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up and fire came down from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. 
This, this is dramatic here. This is dramatic. The earth opened to consume them. Fire descended in judgment to, for those who despise the Lord. And if you do not submit to God's law, as they saw here, you become a law unto yourself. You become an arbitrator. You twist the facts of history in order to make your perspective work. When you're your own God, you'll be overly harsh with those you don't like, particularly those who would point things out in you. When you're your own God, you excuse or even try to justify your own faults. And ultimately, when you need to be saved, there's no one there to save you. And that's what Korah experienced here. Now these, if you read continually into this, the end of this chapter, you'll see that those very sensors that were used were then hammered together and fashioned in such a way to be a, to be a reminder for future generations of the sin of Korah's rebellion here. So why, returning back to Numbers 26, why in the middle of a census, right before they enter the promised land, does this account get brought back up? The Israelites just on the edge. Why is this? It's, it's a warning. It's a new generation, I believe, that needs to hear once again the warning. And it says it right in the text there. It's a warning. God takes sin seriously. For Korah and the company, it was a rebellious jealousy that ignored how God set up worship with a priesthood. It was a warning. And yet in the midst of this warning, how was the family line of Korah impacted? Look at verse 11 in chapter 26. But the sons of Korah did not die. They would remember this. Now, the sons of Korah went on to be worship leaders, to embrace the job given by them, by God, fully. Let me read to you some of the songs that they would write. And remember now, as these sons of Korah, now generations pass and they do eventually enter the promised land, begin to write, listen to the lyrics of some of their words, mindful of the history of the family of Korah. Psalm 44, one through three. Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted, you afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Now, generations later, as they do enter the promised land, these sons of Korah writing of the power of how God has worked. But it wasn't just then later in those things that God had done for them that was gracious, but now listen to even from the very sin of Korah where the earth consumed many of their parents and grandparents. Psalm 46, two. There's a line in there, and you'll recognize the whole psalm when you read it later. It says, though the earth gives way. Even the most painful experience in a family lineage history, even though the earth gives way, a reference, not just a nice semantic thought, but a reference back to their grandparents that would have been consumed by the earth for a sin. Powerful to see how that later then is written and used in powerful ways, redeemed through music and worship that show not just the highs of what God has done, but shows the judgment and how that in the past, they're gonna remember that. And so these sons of Korah take what has been painful in the past of their family, and even in that spot are able to use it in powerful ways in the future, remembering what God has done. And so how, so how, how will you use the pain of your past 
to glorify Jesus. Because pausing to think long enough, all of us would look back and change things. But like we've said, we don't get to do that. Instead, Jesus uses our entire story, the good, the bad, the regrettable, to chart a new future. And no matter what has been your story the last 10 years, how will you live the next 10? Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians. But Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's sustaining grace. Even in blemishes, even in mistakes, even parts of those pasts for us that we look at and regret because of sin, God can use and redeem in powerful ways. God is not finished with you yet. Let the next 10 years be marked in a different way. Maybe for some of you, you've never, never made a decision to follow after Jesus. Let the next 10 years be dramatically different than the last 10 years. There's oftentimes a myth that we look at things and going, is God just angry at me? Is God just angry at the world? Is God just a crutch? Is he kind of more of a killjoy? Is that... And we miss that when we say gospel, gospel means good news. And John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world, not for God hated the world, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is not good advice. We call this the gospel good news. Jesus born, we celebrate at Christmas, we anticipate a resurrection on Easter, and this is far more, again, than just good advice. Yes, incredible opportunities of things to learn from and grow from, and we'll talk about. But ultimately, it starts as good news, a proclamation of gospel of good news, what Jesus has done for us. And because of what Christ has done for us, there's nothing in our past that is beyond redemption and God's grace to chart a different future for us. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? Romans says, if, and we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. All things. It didn't say just the things that you're proud of and you're gonna post on Instagram. <laughs> God uses all those things. Those things, maybe only you know that, that shame would hide them deep inside of you. But no, even in those places, God uses all things. We know there are consequences and yet it doesn't give any caveats in that passage there. God simply understands timing differently than we do. And my hope and prayer for us is that we would embrace fully in this new year a different path. Because you know what is interesting? Talking to a friend a few days ago uh, at the gym, she has to park off-site for several weeks. Because for those first few weeks, everybody makes the commitment to be at the gym. And then in a couple of weeks, all the employees can park back next to the gym. Because all of you that made those new commitments and bought those memberships, you're gonna cancel them anyway. But for three weeks, the gyms are really busy. So let's not just go after those little things that'll be short-term changes, but those areas of our heart and our life that have dramatic change, dramatic impact, let us bring those before God and say, God, let my future be different. Write a different script. Respond to the gospel. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. And there's nobody that is beyond the reach of God. 
There's nobody here who has followed Jesus so long and feel like they've ignored God's prompting for so long that he just doesn't hear you anymore. That's just a myth. But we see here in Korah, generations later, even some of the most painful things in their past end up being beautiful psalms of worship that we would use today that would usher us into the presence of God. And so as you read through the psalms, look, look for those psalms written by Korah. And remember, out of the broken past, God has beautifully redeemed them. So let's, let's pray together. God, God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of, of what you've done in our hearts and our lives. God, I pray that we wouldn't be defined by our most dark moments of, of these past years, but God, instead we'd recognize your grace is there and embrace and step into the hope and healing that it brings. And God, we believe, we believe that you work all things together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. God, my timing is different than yours, but would you give us patience, humility, and a perspective to live wholly before you? God, thank you. Thank you for your grace to sustain, your grace that saves, your grace that is always present for those areas of shame, God, for those areas of sin and regret, would you shine through, maybe even most brightly in those spots? Would you heal, redeem, and use for your glory? So Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection that is good news, reminding us of the power, of your power, and of our future with you. It's in your name, of, in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray, amen.